Let's open our Bibles together to John chapter 18. Read verses 28 through the end of the chapter. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. So the word of Jesus, which he spoke, by what kind of death was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Nation and the priest delivered you to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate, so you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So read the words of the living God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we have sung, you are our living hope, you are our vision, and now we ask that the mind of Christ might fill us to understand truth, the ultimate truth, but not just in our mind, but in our heart, in our actions, in our will, in our emotions, everything. May we live and think because of the truth of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 
Is that just my ears or is the sound going in and out? All right, well, listen carefully. So as a, uh, as a father, one of my uh, joys, and every father who uh, is a father um, understands how this works, one of my joys is to be the answer man for my kids. And the questions that are asked, you know, progress from the easy to the not so easy. Uh, you know, the first kinds of questions are, Dad, why when I drop the ball does it go down, but I drop the balloon and it goes up? Right? And sometimes you're tempted to get into a real physics lesson here about gravity and helium and all that, but typically they don't really want to know the full extent of the right answer. Just, I don't understand, my balloon just flew away and my ball keeps falling down. And then they come with a question like, um, where do babies come from? And you know the right answer to that is, go ask your mother. <laughs> or what some of you have answered over the years is, go ask Pastor Doug, thank you very much. <laughs> But there is a question that all of us get as fathers that is not nearly so simple. And it usually occurs when a loved one or the, the parent of a friend dies. And the question comes, what happened to so-and-so? Here's something I have observed over the years. Those who come to life with uh, an atheistic or an agnostic evolutionary worldview never answer that question consistent with what they say they believe. There is something, even for the cynic, when their child is dealing with death, they just can't bring themselves to say, well, what happened is they're gone and their body is just decomposing and you know, we're just grown up germs anyway. That's how it works. Nobody will do that. So the typical answer is, well, they went to heaven. It's a wonderful place and someday we'll see them again. Had the discussion with a, a man this week and uh, he had told his, his son this uh, and I said, is that true? And he said, I don't know. I said, good, I do know. And I can tell you what the truth is. And the reason I can tell you what the truth is, is because Jesus Christ came to tell everyone what the truth is. The question, the, the biggest question of all is, what happens after death. Is there a God in heaven? Is there a king over this universe? Is there a judge before whom every person will stand to give an account? It's the only question that really matters. And getting that wrong has eternal consequences. And Jesus said, this is the reason for which I have come. This is the, the reason for which I was born, to tell you the truth. There is a God in heaven. There is a king over the universe. There is a judge 
before whom every man, woman, and child will stand. This is what the Apostle Paul referred to as the good confession. So let's look at the passage. We begin in verse 28, continuing on from last week's passage. It says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. So you recall, uh, Jesus has been arrested in Gethsemane, the garden. He's been to the uh, court of uh, Annas, the high priest, who, who was the high priest de facto, even though he didn't have the title at the time. And uh, the, 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 the Jews brought all kinds of witnesses and testimony trying to find something that would stick. Oh, he did this, and he said that, and he said he would destroy the temple, and all these things. And they couldn't get their story straight. There were all kinds of false accusations trying to, trying to find something worthy of condemning Jesus because they wanted him dead. And finally, we, we, don't, we don't see this in John, but we look at the other Gospels, and finally they asked him, tell us the truth, are you the Christ? He says, yes. They said, that's all we need. Condemn the man. So now they send him to Caiaphas, who had the authority of the high priest, and then they lead him from Caiaphas to the, uh, the Roman governor, Pilate, because he has the authority death sentence. He's been arrested and he's brought to Pilate to, because uh, Pilate could put him to death. Now notice what John includes for us here. It was early. Yeah, you bet it was. Remember last week we saw they tried him in the middle of the night, which was against Jewish law. And then John tells us the Jews, the, the priests and those who came with Jesus would not enter the praetorium so that they would not be defiled because they wanted to eat the Passover. So it was Passover season and for the Jews to come in contact with Gentiles would have defiled them so that they were unclean according to the law of Moses. It's kind of like they, they walked right up to the steps of the, the courthouse but they wouldn't go up the steps because that would mean they have to go through ritual cleansing and they wouldn't get to participate in the feasts. Do you realize what's going on here? These men are falsely accusing an innocent man to have him condemned, put to death. But they don't want to do anything wrong that might keep them from participating in the Passover meal. I mean, it reminds me of all the, the stories and the movies that you've read of the mob bosses, you know? They have great manners. They require their kids to sit still and you listen to your mother and wash your hands before you eat and use good manners at the table while their people are out murdering others and extorting money and they've got blood on their hands, but not when they eat. And they're very well behaved. Jesus already called them out on this earlier. He said things like, you people will strain out a gnat and then swallow a whole camel. What a visual. Right? You got something in your soup, you'll pick it out. Unless it's as big as a camel, and then you swallow it like you don't even know it's there. 
He called them whitewashed tombs. All show. They cleaned the outside of the cup. They did all the, all the external things, but their hearts were far from God. He said, you people will tithe your spices. You'll be very scrupulous. You know, you're, you're putting salt and pepper on your food, and before you put your salt on your food, you do a little, little bit for God. Here, God, you're, gonna, you're so careful not to skimp on any tithing but then the things like justice and righteousness and mercy, the things that matter the most to God, you don't care about that. These people would not taint themselves in the presence of a Gentile, and yet they would sentence an innocent man through lies and deceit, sentence him to death. We must never become naive to the wickedness of mankind. This kind of thing happened before the Jews and it happens to our day. And you know what? Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, every single one of us has the same potential to look good on the outside, to say these good things we're going to do and yet have treachery in our hearts, even to the point of killing someone. There's a reason why one of the promises of the new covenant, God said, I will give them a new heart because the old unregenerate heart is as wicked as could be. And we see it played out with these Jewish people refusing to go into the praetorium courtyard because they didn't want to become unclean and they were killing the Son of God. That didn't bother them. The Bible calls that a hardened conscience. So Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now we need to know a little something about the relationship between Pilate and the Jews. It was not a good one. Back and forth, back and forth, Pilate had gone with these Jewish people. We get information from Josephus, the uh, Jewish scholar, uh, historian, and some others, that uh, Pilate, on multiple occasions, had brought defilement into the holy city itself. Uh, pictures and icons and things from, from Caesar and that kind of thing, and the Jews rebelled against that. And so they stood their ground. They, they did protests. You know, marching on the, on the lawn of Washington, D.C., that's not a new thing. Americans didn't invent that. Uh, they would come and they, just mobs of people would stand there and, and refuse to let Pilate and his soldiers do their thing. And at one point he said, get out of the way or I'll chop off all your heads. And they laid down and extended their necks and said, go ahead. And he backed off. And they kept sending word back to Caesar about Pilate saying he keeps provoking us to do all this disruptive things. And I told you last week that the Romans don't like disturbances. And, and so the Caesar would, would come and threaten Pilate, get a, get a grip here, control these people. So back and forth, back and forth. And, and the, uh, the Jews kept appealing to Caesar about Pilate. And Pilate would threaten, and then he would pull back. And, and what we learned about Pilate is he was a very, very weak and insecure, kind of petty man. 
So this little interchange we have between Pilate and the Jews is this back and forth kind of silliness. He asks them the question, what accusation do you bring against this man? He already knew. Because Pilate would have had to sign off on the sending of the hundreds of soldiers in the battalion to arrest Jesus in the first place. So the Jews think, oh good, Pilate's with us. All we have to do is show up and Pilate will rubber stamp. He'll just sign it and away we go and we can execute Jesus. And Pilate says, oh yeah, what do you want? What's your accusation? And, and they say, uh, um, this is not how we thought this would go. Uh, we wouldn't have brought this guy to you if he weren't an evildoer. Wink, wink, like we've already had this conversation. He's done horrible things. Just, can we kill him? Pilate says, take him yourself. Judge him according to your law. You deal with this. And in verse 31, we get to the heart of the matter. We don't want to judge him according to our law because we don't have the right of capital punishment. Only the Romans can kill someone. And John reminds us, Jesus had been saying this all along, he would be handed over to the Gentiles and would be crucified. So Pilate decides to retry the case, brings him in. He enters the praetorium again and he summons Jesus and says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now again, there's been some semantical political work being done here. The Jews asked Jesus, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Tell us now. In fact, in one of the other Gospels, they say, we adjure you by God. A solemn oath that Jesus cannot refuse to answer. Now, before God, we are calling you to tell us, are you the Messiah? Jesus said, yes. That's all we need. That's all we need. But they can't go to Pilate and say he claimed to be the Messiah. That doesn't mean anything to Pilate. That's a Jewish title. That's, a, that's an Old Testament prophecy. So they present it to Pilate as king, which is true of what the Messiah would be. But they've told Pilate he claims to be a king. Now Pilate would get involved because a king, a man who claims to be a king, could be a threat to Caesar, and he could be someone who is, who is mounting a rebellion against Caesar, you know, starting with Pilate and then spreading from there to go resist the high king, Caesar. And so that's how they presented to Pilate. He says he's a king, and now Pilate wants to know, are you the king of the Jews? Isn't this a great story? So here's Jesus accused, seemingly the one being interrogated. He's asked a direct question, and he responds with, why are you asking me this? Do you want to know, Pilate? Is this a question that has arisen in your own mind? Do you want to know if I'm the king? Or are you doing this because somebody else has put you up to this. Just a side note, 
That's how you handle false accusations when you know you're right. He's in complete control. He knows he's been sent by the Father. He knows what's going to happen. He completely entrusts himself to the Father. And he knows the Father has planned this from the beginning. He knows what's coming. He is as calm as can be. You think you're interrogating me? Uh Uh-uh. I'm in charge here. No one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. You're asking me a question? I got a question for you. Why are you asking me? If you want to know if I'm the king, I'd be happy to tell you. But if you're doing this for some political ploy, just know that I know that too. And Pilate very quickly acknowledges what's going on here. I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation, your people brought you here. The chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Remember what John's doing with this whole book, right? He's trying to show that Jesus is the Messiah. He's writing for a Jewish audience primarily. And I've told you over and over again, what he has to do is prove two things. One, Jesus is the Messiah. And two, you can't trust the Jewish leaders. So here we have in the words of Pilate, the Gentile, your own people delivered you over to me. They brought you here. The chief priests, your own nation brought you. So now Jesus answers the question. Yes, I'm a king. But I'm not the threat that you think I am. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not literally from here. Yes, I'm a king, but don't worry, I'm not mounting resistance. I don't have soldiers trained. I mean, you may have heard that little incident with Peter, the fisherman. Yeah, see, I'm not training soldiers. (laughs) That wasn't so smart on his part. I'm not bringing an army to overthrow Caesar. I have a kingdom but it's not going to be headquartered here in Jerusalem or some other earthly city where I take charge that way. My kingdom is is of a different realm. Now, Pilate doesn't seem to be concerned about this response, but he should have been. Jesus is saying, yeah, my kingdom, it, it may not be here to overthrow Caesar, but what you don't know, Pilate, is that my kingdom is going to be so transcendent, so far greater than anything you could possibly imagine that you should be threatened by what I'm saying. Well, you don't know, Pilate, is I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life on the third day, and God is going to raise me not to the head of Rome, but to the head of the entire cosmos. I'm going to be given lordship, kingship over everything in heaven and everything on earth. And I'm going to build my kingdom not with swords, not with F-35s that may or may not work, not with tanks and bullets and guns, 
and cyber warfare, I'm going to send my people to preach the truth of the gospel. And I'm going to continue for thousands of years to build my kingdom. And I will destroy my enemies as I see fit, but some of them I'm not going to destroy. I'm going to win and bring them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that's what Jesus has been doing for 2,000 years, is defeating his enemies as he sees fit. And we are told in 1 Corinthians, the last enemy will be death. Someday even that enemy will be defeated. Oh yeah, I have a kingdom. It's not from here, but it's going to have significant impact for here. Yes, I'm a king. I would, if I were this kind of king, the kind of king you're worried about, I have these servants and then it'd be all over the place. He's not talking about human servants here, right? Do you remember the story in the Old Testament when Elisha and his servant are, are surrounded by enemies? And, and Elisha is as calm as can be. And all these generals, all these people are outside ready to take him into custody. And his servant is freaking out saying, Elisha, Elisha, what are we going to do? And he says, oh, don't worry. There's more of us than, more, than there are them. And the servant looks out the door like, okay, I count 7,001, two. You didn't do very well in math, did you? And Elisha says, oh, oh, I see. I forget. Lord, would you open his eyes to see? And then the servant looks out and surrounding all his enemies are these angelic beings, way more than there were soldiers. Oh. Oh, yeah. Jesus says, look, all I have to do is give the word. And Michael, Gabriel, or any of a multitude of angels who are here right now take you out like that. But that's, that's not what I'm here to do. Pilate says, therefore, so you are a king. <laughs> wonder what the look on Jesus' face was. Am I going too fast for you? <laughs> yes. When I talk about my kingdom, yes. Generally, if someone has a kingdom, it's because they are a king. Yes, I am a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world. To testify to the truth. The good confession. Are you a king? Yes, I am. I came to this world. This is the very purpose for my birth. For my coming to you to tell people the truth. There is a God reigning over heaven and earth. There is a king who is the king over all kings. There's a king that every dictator on planet earth, every ayatollah, 
every prime minister and Congress and parliament will stand before someday and give an account. There is a king before whom every individual will bow the knee someday and declare, you are Lord. It's true. There is a, an appointment that we all have with death. And that is not the end. The writer of Hebrews says, it is appointed for man once to die and then judgment. And Jesus says, I came to tell the truth. This is why Paul called it the good confession he wrote to Timothy. He called it the good confession that, that Jesus made before Pilate. Here is this, this pagan, this Gentile, he's not a Jew, couldn't care less about Jewish things. And he stands there as the judge of Jesus and he asks him a direct question, are you the king? And Jesus says, I must tell the truth. It's my created purpose. It would be wrong not to tell the truth. So I have come to tell the truth, and the answer is yes. I am the king. And then he says some pretty terrifying words, for some at least. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. I'm the truth. I've come to tell you the truth. The truth is I am king, and if you are of truth and not of falsehood, you hear me. Now, of course, Pilate heard him. Everybody who was around heard him. He doesn't mean you can actually formulate in your head from your ears and make sense of the syllables. No, no, he's saying, you will believe me if you're of the truth, of God's truth. And that is true even today. Everyone who is of the truth will put their trust in Jesus and bow the knee now. Everybody's going to bow the knee someday. But if we wait until he returns or till the judgment day, then there's no hope of forgiveness. At that point, it's just a judgment unto hell. But if we are of the truth before that day, then we will hear him and we will follow him, and we will submit to him, we will believe in him, and we will be forgiven of our sin as we discussed at the Lord's table. <laughs> and then Pilate's response. I would love to think that Pilate has a moment of sanity here. He's confronted with this weighty statement of Jesus, and he asks with deep wonder in his soul, what is truth? Tell me more. I don't think that's what he's doing. 
What is truth? Get out of my face. Truth is, your people are an irritant to me, and I'm tired of dealing with them. When he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and notice what is said by the earthly judge, and John wants to make sure we get it. Pilate stands before the people, having interviewed him, having interrogated the witness. He comes out before the people of the Jews, and he declares emphatically, I find no guilt in this man. But you all have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that, that I release for you the king of the Jews? Talk about spineless and corruption. I find no guilt in this man. He has done nothing wrong. But I'm willing to kill him anyway, if you want. That man, someday, is going to stand before Jesus and give an account for making the statement, he's innocent, but I'm willing to kill him anyway. How wicked is the heart of man? He's not guilty, but you all have this custom, and I will release him. This should not have been contingent on some custom. He's not guilty. Therefore, as a just judge, I will let him go free, and you're not allowed to lay a hand on him. That's what should have been said. But again, Pilate has to deal with the consequences of upsetting the mob of the Jews. Because what the Jews are going to do, and we see this played out in the rest of the narrative, the Jews are going to say, if you release him, we're going to make sure word gets back to Caesar that you let this insurrectionist go, and who knows what kind of trouble he's going to start up, and we're going to make sure you're held liable for that. So he's stuck. If I let Jesus go, it's going to cost me my job, maybe worse. So to save his own thin skin, says, you guys make a choice. You want me to release him? And notice the response of God's people. Jewish people who know the law of God, who claim to be the keepers of justice and righteousness, who claim to know God's will, and who know they have set him up with false accusations. Their response, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, John gives us this little simple 
description of Barabbas, saying he was a robber. He was not just a thief. When we pile together the other texts of the New Testament and extra-biblical texts, Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He had raised up a rebellious group, a militia group against the, the Roman authorities. He was a murderer, and he was the one the Romans should have been afraid of who would raise up a resistance to try to overthrow the government officials. He was everything the Jews accused Jesus of being. And you know what else is fascinating in, in God's ironic providence? If we can trust historical documents, Barabbas had another name. Jesus. Jesus Barabbas. An insurrectionist. A murderer. Someone who deserved, according to Roman law, to be crucified. And the Jews knew it. They were all for his original arrest because he was causing problems for the rest of them because he provoked the wrath of Pilate. Barabbas was no friend of the Jews. He was a pain in their side. And they say, we don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas. And they got what they wanted. And someday, every one of those men clamoring for the death of Jesus are going to stand before him and answer for their treachery and their lies and their false witness. And that they knowingly cried out for the release of a murderer and for the execution of an innocent man. And of course, we have to come to the grips with the fact that if it were not for the grace of God in your life and mine, we all have the potential to be Barabbas or the chief priests or Pontius Pilate. Oh, how wicked is the heart of man. But the promise of the new covenant is I will put my spirit within them and I will cause them to want to please me and serve me. And if you are a Christian here today, you have that new heart we are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who strive for our own will. We, we don't deceive. We don't lie. We don't pursue selfish things. We want to serve the Lord because of his grace and his mercy. We still fall short. And praise the Lord, we are forgiven because Jesus took the place of Barabbas and he took the place of you and me.
and he's building his kingdom. This is a heavy account, but we know that's not the end of the story. He will be executed unjustly, the just for the unjust. That's us, we're the unjust. But he rose again, and he did ascend to the throne room of the cosmos, where he sits today, reigning over heaven and earth. And he is ruling, and he is judging his enemies, and he is building his church. And he's given us the command and the privilege to be part of building his kingdom as we take the gospel. And we are to take it, violent men, take the kingdom by force with the gospel. Preaching the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we know the answer, whether it's a five-year-old or a 50-year-old. What happens when we die? That's easy. It's not emotionally easy. But the proposition, the actual statement of truth is very easy. What happens when we die? We go stand before Jesus at judgment. And if we did not believe in him, it is wrath. But if we have put our trust in him and bowed the knee as king, we have eternal life, everlasting joy with him forever. That's the truth. And it's a simple answer. We must be equipped to give the right answer. None of this, everybody goes to heaven. We get to see each other again someday. For some of, that's, some of us, that's true. For others, it's just the opposite. Jesus came to bear witness to that truth. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we cannot begin to empathize with what you went through in our behalf. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, you did not voice opposition. We are so thankful that you did not call down the powers of the angelic beings to overthrow Pilate and the Jews. Because had you done that, you would not have gone to the cross and we would be forever in our sins. Thank you for the cross, for your grace. Lord, if there's someone in this room today who knows this is true, but they have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus and called upon him for forgiveness, would you grant them faith today? For those of us who believe, make us soldiers, equip us as soldiers, give us the will to fight the kingdom of darkness with your truth, the truth, and the death, and the burial, and the resurrection, and the ascension, and the reign, and the future coming of King Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen.